Sound of a Town with Shosha McCann. Hello and welcome along to another edition of Sound of a Town and this week I am joined by frontman with Orwell's 84, the host of the long-running local music show on the Dock FM, the first cut, the brilliantly talented Mr. Damien McKenna. I don't know how talented now it is, but there's something. <laughs> how are you? Good, yeah. How are you keeping? I'm not so bad. You have uh, loads of stuff coming up. <laughs> we loads of stuff coming up. We loads of stuff happened and I'm forever going and I just... Uh, what you're talking about is I'm about to have my first child as we're recording this. Con- congratulations. Thank you very I much, hope you yeah. don't get a phone call in the middle of this. I, so do I. This is kind of the panic and we were like, this was the only time slot available. Uh, but I'm actually looking forward to it and people are like, you know, oh, it'll all change. And I'm going, I hope it does because yeah. I'm actually run off my feet at the minute. But um, it's a good, it's a good exhaustion. Everything else is going to stop and yeah. that is going to take over completely. And I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> But like you've just finished the tour, you've got the album out, it's a cracking album by the way. Thanks um, very much, yeah. The album being Chris, The Crucible, Crucible yeah. The Crucible from OL's 84. We'll talk a wee bit more about that at the minute. But as probably the aficionado of all things Dundalk music, yeah. how do you think the scene is now? Is it at the best it's ever been or is there better to come? Um, That depends on who you ask, if it's the best it's ever been. I personally and... I've been involved in a long time. How long um, are you doing the first cut? First cut, um, well, when the easiest way to probably think of that was when 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 was David in on the taxi? When was he? When was David Keane in the taxi? Oh, so seven years ago, eight yeah. years. Ago. So probably in add another year onto that. So I'd say maybe yeah. eight years. Was he doing it which at that time? Yeah, he. So it used to be Tracy Hanby. It used to be a guy called yeah. Tracy Hanby, and um, it used to be a, a, another girl. Um, Sarah, not Sarah Kirk, it used to be, I can't think of her name right now, but they were doing it and Tracy wanted to step back and so did this other girl whose name is going to, this, <laughs> it's tip your tongue, I hate that, I get that all the time. I can picture the girl and all, but uh, they, were, they were stepping back, wanted uh, someone to do it, me and David at the time were putting on the, the Echo Road Records gigs and this kind of stuff and she just asked us, so we stepped in to do it uh, and then obviously um, things took off for David which was great, um, but he just hadn't got the time then to, to kind of be in it. So Sarah Kirk stepped in with me and we did it for, I can't remember how long, and, and then and then she stepped away and then I'm still I'm still there carrying, flying the flag. Um, but I had a load of different hosts with me, so it's been, yeah, Jesus, it's been a long time. Daniel Hannon was another one, he was great. Yeah. Shane Tippin was in for a while on it. <laughs> uh, so just, yeah, I suppose I'm the mainstay of it now at this stage. And in all the years that you've been doing it, do you think... What's happening now? Well, that's yeah. So, like, even though it's probably been like, no, none of these are overnight successes. They've all no. ma- the Wallopers maybe a little bit because they were doing TPM and stuff first. Yeah, and then the Wallopers took over. Well, I mean, like, there's always been something there. Um, from when I was playing music, anyway, definitely. But like, I mean, it goes far as back, and you could say like the Tramps, they were doing great stuff. They just maybe didn't hit the heights that they, yeah. they should have. That they definitely deserved. Yeah, Jinx Lennon's been around for how long? You know, um, and. They're just it's it's been kind of on a, it's it's been on an upward trajectory 
because then you had the likes of Third Smoke as well were around um, the Curtain Thieves the Beach Whales the Muji Ute with David like they were big um, I was in two bands as well before that before Orwell's and it's just been going on an upward trajectory but I just think right now and to answer your question I think right now all the pieces have just fallen into place that um, I don't think you can look anywhere else um, certainly in terms of population and the ratio it's a concentrated amount of talent that's coming out in Dock at the minute Will it get any more healthier? I think. I think there's. Unfortunately, there's not. There's not anything at the back end of what's coming. I don't think at the minute there's a few bands that are definitely starting to do do stuff. But yeah. I don't think. I don't think, and, and it's not knocking them. They're just young. I just don't think they're they're going to knock. Be a few them. more years before. Yeah, they've yeah. they've they've, they've a bit of learning and they've a bit of navigating yeah. and and yeah. The, the, you know because no band is ever no band is ever complete until someone tries to break it up. <laughs> you know that kind of way so like uh, they have to go through all them trials and tribulations I think before they get it um, but I mean to hit the heights of what Just Muster's done um, I mean like Elephant is always quietly doing stuff in the background yeah. Finney is just releasing a new song next week um, and he's got his thing with Kara Kin like which is that's a fantastic piece of work they're doing um, David Keenan obviously as well and obviously he, he's Jinx. been a busy boy lately there's been an album an EP and now there's Singles that aren't on either of them yeah. coming out. Yeah, he's very focused. He, I met a, I met a chap down and uh, we were, when we were down we played Clears in Kilkenny. Yeah, great venue. Um, and it's David's new haunt down there, you know. Right. And I was talking to the guy who runs uh, Rollercoaster Records, and he was just saying how focused he just seems to be right now, and it just seems to be a real focus, and it's great. You know, it's great to see. You know, and then like it's just I don't know, like just Mustard are just hitting extreme heights as well. Yeah, well, um, it's next next week as we're sitting here recording this in June that they're going to open for Depeche Mode. In, Depeche Mode, in, and, and they were open for The Cure as the well. The Cure, like, that's you know what I mean? unbelievable. Yeah, and like, this is a, still an independent band, not signed to any big... They're, they're, they're on, well, it's Pizza Pizza Records yeah. is the label, and, and Partisan Records is their record deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, it's still on an undercurrent of something there. That's it's something unbelievable. Going. It's just really, really good. But then, like, you know, we had, like, Osiris supporters in the Spirit Store, I'm hearing, I haven't seen them yet, but I'm hearing great things. As I said, yeah, I couldn't get that out because uh, like, cause of COVID, jumping yeah. its head up, ugly head up again. Do you know, what I mean? <laughs> but like them lads to me have they've got the they've got the attitude and the image down. The songwriting is there's definitely something down the songwriting, yeah. and uh, I don't know, I can't remember the chap's name, the, the lead singer, the front man. That that fella's got a set of pipes on him. Like he yeah. is, there's there's a hell of a lot of talent going on there. So they keep going and doing what they're doing. Like you know what I mean. Um, I think they were talking about they're doing an album, so we'll see how that goes for them. And yeah. if I, like, I hope it goes well for them, you know, because I know firsthand how hard it is to put an album out individually um, and by yourself with no backing and having yeah. to try and get the money for it. So it would be nice. To, I would like to see something come along, uh, or to kind of keep it sustained. Yeah, you know, because I, 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 yeah, I don't think, I don't think, I think the music scene is so healthy in the though. I don't think it's coming to an end. I don't think you're going to see like the end of all this stuff. But alas, we all have to kind of grow up and yeah. life takes over and, you know, these things kind of happen. So, yeah, I think, I think, I honestly do think, and it's not because I did a first cut or because I'm from Dundalk or because I'm in a band in Dundalk, but I definitely think it's definitely the best music scene I completely uh, in, 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 in a locality. I completely agree. And it's kind of why I'm doing this. I said, right, just capture it now at this very moment. Just I'm, try and, if you could bottle this. I know, yeah. And if you could look back maybe in 20 years, it would be 
and open the bottle and we go, oh my God. Yeah. You, wow. see, you can imagine like the people that are around like, and we've, you spoke before some of the people that you've got coming up or either they've already been on yeah. as part of the series and like even there's them names and you're just going, Jesus, yeah. You know. There, there was um, a guy on Twitter, he's a historian guy, his name is Donald Fallon and he, he put up some quote from somebody in Dublin and it was basically saying, at a time you could you couldn't walk down the street in Dublin without beep, bumping into a musician or a poet or mm. an, a, a writer or something. And I said, "God, that's the way it is in the dark now." Yeah, and he, and he, he he tweeted me back and he was like, "Oh yeah, you've got the Waterbirds and you've got Just Mustard and you've got Jinx Lennon." And I said, "You're only you're only touching the, oh, the top, yeah. but like yeah, yeah. go for a pint. The Waterbirds might be down in the corner or." Go somewhere and Jinx is out in the street or yourself yeah, yeah. or Shane or." Forty, we were at a, a, a commemoration for a lad who passed away. Then yeah, Julian, yeah, like yeah. I mean, like and like even but the if musicians look, that were just there, just this, this, to say goodbye to him. I was, just, I was going, the talent is unreal. I was at the Lancome gig, um, the first night of the tree, was it? I think or whatever way it was, but one of the nights in Vicar Street, and they played the young people, and he dedicated um, Lynch, Dara. Dara Lynch dedicated young people to to Julian. Oh, did he? So that's how oh, well that's known. gorgeous. And the boys, and, and, and then I spoke to Dara afterwards, because I would know him through the Walloppers as well. Yeah. And I was speaking to him, we were talking, and he was just, like, he's so full of praise of Julian. But the point being is that, like, the ba- bands like Lancome, which are, they're, they're globally huge. huge. Yeah, yeah. They're talking about, and the they're Dindoxy. getting invested yeah. in the scene. Yeah, you know kind of way, so. Is it, do you think, does it need to be, and I asked this to Jinx, and I don't want this. Don't want it to sound like uh, it's a knock at the store because it's definitely not. The spirit store is unbelievable. And I think we're blessed to have that venue. But you think that there needs to be something happening more in town to try and keep it going, as in the t- in the town centre. Just for example, uh, yesterday there was a thing on at the square. It was music generation and yeah. some of the music schools and stuff. And I was thinking, God, wouldn't it be great if we could do this more often? The square was packed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the good weather helped it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, just to kind of bring it into town more often. I definitely think so. Like, I think, you know, like a music scene to survive, I think, I believe only needs three things. One is it needs people that yeah. are going to be supporting it, which Derek Turner is a massive, massive yeah, supporter yeah, of the North music scene. The likes of, like, like Marissa, yourself, on the, and, you know, I, I do my best with the first cut. Well, so you do you, more than your best, to be fair. So you need the people, <laughs> you need the music to be there, and you need the art and the inspiration to be there. And then the third thing you need is definitely venues. Now, I know Toads is starting to do wonderful stuff, so like, yeah. I'd love to see that take off more. Um, I think Arco Arena were there on Friday night. Yeah, I was talking um, to Pork yesterday. He was involved in running that thing at the square. Music Gen, yeah. yeah. So, and like Pork's in the, in the band with us. Them boys never stop. Pork and Peter, they're producer extraordinaire. They, they, yes, they're, in, they're in with us. They're at Arco. They're in the Future West. Yeah. <laughs> no, but they're unbelievable. I just don't and know. they're so quiet, lads. They wouldn't yeah. say, like, they just, yeah, they're deadly. They're uh, some boys. But, like, that's what we need. And so I'd love to see more, yeah, I'd love to see more venues take a chance. I mean, look. It would be nice to see a None the Rage venue pop up again. There used to be the AOH. And, yeah, and, and the, the Sports Bowl and stuff. And stuff. And Rock the Planet, yeah. yeah. I think that's what actually might be missing. Just where the teenagers can go and play themselves in front of people. Because, like, that thing that was on the square yesterday, um, my daughter actually plays piano with a group called mm. Go Music, but they've put together a little band. Now, she wasn't involved yeah. in it, but... And then, there's a young fellow there playing the saxophone. Yeah. He couldn't have been any more than 14. Yeah. And it's blowing my mind. No, the talent, <laughs> the talent around is, is going to be incredible, but yeah, and like, it, that's what it needs. 
and if you don't have them spaces for young people to kind of gather and and share ideas and and be envious of each yeah. other and want to be better than each other, and are, are you involved at that place besides St Patrick's? Is that where you are? Or that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, so, I'm involved with that's my job as a youth worker, so that's what I do. Yeah. But I'm I'm based in RD, but I do a lot in the Nook Youth Centre, and they they themselves have the music room there. That's, that's where Osiris came from. I think other bands. That's where they got together. Yeah, you know? but it needs to happen because you you need to sit there and go. That's a class song. I want to write a better song than that, or you know, oh, there's he's a good drummer. I want to see if he'll drum with us, you know. And that's the only way it'll grow. Well, that's the only way it'll sustain. Yeah, because when it cuts, look, we live in a society now where everything's so instantaneous, and you can just go on Snapchat or TikTok. And David, funny enough, had that song TikTok, which was about this idea that like you know everything's so instantaneous on your phone. Um, and I heard him talk actually at the at the Yamas. I was listening to him talk, and he said something like, you know. Forget about creating music for TikTok and stuff like that. Create it for yourself and create it for your, your friends and your family around and your and your and the people you want to play for. And then that'll sustain it, you know. That's what we needed. And I definitely think an underage venue would be something that we could yeah. and I know in town where they can just come in and, and, yeah. and congregate. Yeah, I know the Spirit Store have been doing stuff, haven't they, lately? Um they have a they, they have um, emerged, the emerge the emerge or something. What's it called? Emergence. Yeah, I was there a few times when they were coming out loads of kids with guitars and drum kits yeah. and all. I was thinking, this is brilliant. This is yeah. you know sitting outside having a pint and you hear the music coming upstairs. Mm. But I think for the underage thing, if you could just without pushing the alcohol thing, I'm not, no, I'm not one of them. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going out for a few pints as soon as we're finished here. Yeah, yeah. But you know, if we could just have it in in the space where yeah, 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 that's you know they can just come and go as the please type of thing without having been set up. Yeah, yeah, and I think, yeah, like it's 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 a strange one. I'd love to see what's going to happen with the music scene. I really yeah. would, like you know. But I I do think I think everyone talks about how great the town is and and where and 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 the lineage of of music and football yeah. seems to be synonymous <laughs> yeah. with the, with the door. So will it continue? I don't know. We just have to see. Do you know what I mean? There was a massive. Because there was a massive surge there, and as you were saying, like Dublin there for a while, like it was everyone was there, and you, you had your Paddy Casey's, you know, Glenn Hans, it's all these boys coming out of it, Damien Rice, Declan yeah. O'Rourke, all these lads coming out of it, and singer songwriters, Sharon Chan, they were all there, and then it just kind of dipped, yeah. um, and then all of a sudden, then you had the Fontaines came on the scene, and now everybody wants to be <laughs> hitting heavy guitars and yeah. and uh, there's, speaking their lyrics into. There's into a the place mic. in Dublin there, so it's a kind of a college or something. It's called Bim now. It, 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 I think the idea of it is that obviously all the musicians go to it, but it's, it's trying to teach them the management of, of the thing as yeah. well. And it seemed to have produced just a burst of well, acts around the one time. There, there's a, it's a fella called, is it Damien Keyes is the guy's name. He had a place in, in London or something like that. It was the same idea. It was a music college. And now he opened BIM as well in, in Ireland. I have no problem with BIM. My, my only worry is that it's, it's become a very Selective. cookie cutter. Yeah, and selective if you want to say yeah. as well like you know but what it does create is that space that you're talking about where like people will support people within it yeah. do you know what I mean but yeah it's churning out people and they're all doing the same things and acting the same way and sometimes you're looking at it and there's not a lot of individuality out of it but the Fontaines came from now so yeah. must be something to it there was a thing here a while back and it was probably was it okay I'm a wee bit older than most of the people in most of the musical acts around in Dock, except uh, Jinx and uh, one or two others. But when I was growing up, there was a big club scene. So mm. the live music scene wasn't as big. Mm. And then there was... Uh, I, one of the things that really kind of highlighted for me was when Fantasso broke onto the scene first. Yeah. 
and we were going out like I think uh, fantastic was going I don't know how many years I think I've only missed two of them mm. because I was just enjoying it so much and I was kind of opening my eyes to how many great local yeah. bands there were and it's says, who are these guys? And someone I'd know would say, oh, that's such and such. I know him. And he yeah. came up and we went to school together. Yeah. Again, most of them were just a wee bit younger than me, with the exception of Jinx and the Gags and, and Padres and that. And I'd be saying, wow, yeah. this is, you know, there, there really is something there. And it, they've seemed to all, as we're saying, maybe now they've all kind of flourished and become, mm. it's become. Yeah. Well, like you, I, you would have seen the beach. Come with, yeah. yeah. I, we played some of the stages the, not as always, but we played in different bands out there. And uh, Third Smoke Rose big there. Um, Future West played there quite a bit. Do you know it's? Um, what was the band before that? In the Future West, that's Fraz Peace. What was the one before? Richard, Richard. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I that. remember so, watching them actually. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, like they they all kind of come and they all and it's all. But but as I say to you, then whatever way the pieces have just fallen into place now, it just seems to be working yeah. right. Yeah. You know. There's good stuff happening, you know. Macara seems to be a great spot. Yeah, it like seems to be. It seems to be a good of, hub. Yeah, yeah, a hub of it. Um, which again is great. You know, especially when the the lads that open it are only young, lads. young enough lads yeah, themselves yeah. and just giving it a go. Fair play, well, them. They, it's a great spot. They, they, Food, it's lovely as well, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it actually, is yeah, it's gorgeous. The vegan stuff and and again, if the fella that's a chef there, I don't know, he still is a chef. You won the chefs there. He's supposed to be mates with everyone on the music scene. Right. So, <laughs> so it's a weird one. But uh, but like even there, like the guys in there were saying to drop in a record because I think they have like a listening hub or something or there's something in there as in well. The car, or, yeah, yeah, or something like that. So they're saying drop in a vinyl. So literally when I leave here now, they go and drop in a, in a vinyl. Really? And, Brilliant. And someone that won the t-shirt told me to leave them in there, won the jersey. <laughs> like, I'll leave it in my car. So, so come on, let's talk a wee bit about you as as a musician. Do you remember what was the scene like when you were coming up, and how did you end up getting in involved in it? Was it just a case of taking guitar lessons one time, or was there something more? Um, I always tell the story, and people always think that it's that I make it up as certainly not. But when I was younger, my cousin, who's four or five years older than me, but he's playing the guitar, and I remember we were all sitting somewhere in some youth club or something. Right, right. he was playing the guitar. And all the women were looking at him, and I thought to myself, "I need to start playing the guitar." <laughs> and that's literally all it was. I never had an, I never had a, <clears throat> a want to. I wasn't like I needed to start writing songs or I needed yeah. to sing. I've, I've been around music all my life, you know. Myself and Sean from Mary Wallopers, we'd be cousins, you know. Yeah. So we would have been around all the trad music with our families and like massive, massive amounts of of uh, music coming at us. Um, and I distinctly as well remember my father when I was younger when I was only a child like um he drove an old it was like a maroon Corsa it was an Opel Corsa and there was two things I always remember off that one it had a Crossans garage logo on it which is now gone and it was obviously that's where it was and the second one was is that the tape there was a tape in the tape deck for and it must have been it must have been stuck in there because it was <laughs> forever in there and the A side of the tape was the Beatles revolver right and in the B side of it was John Lennon's greatest hits or what he could fit on the thing so I spent most of my childhood in that car driving places listening to the Beatles and to John Lennon 
and then I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. And then digging through his record collection, I found the, the blue album, the Beatles' greatest hits, and um, he showed me how to drop a needle on it. I dropped the needle on it, and Strawberry Fields came on, and that was it. After that, then he says, I need to start writing songs. And yeah, I know, but again, there wasn't really like a real drive in it. It was like, yeah. I need, I'll learn the guitar now, maybe. And um, I don't, so was, was it a case of then, right, seek out lessons and... and there used to be, if a fella came around, a, a teacher in the friary came around saying he would do guitar lessons. I think it was like £2 or something or whatever. It was something ridiculously cheap and you'd stay after school and you'd bring your own guitar and he'd show you how to play chords and stuff like that. And then... And obviously, when I left in the friary, I couldn't go to lessons anymore. Like me <laughs> traipsing in from the Della into the friary. But uh, I went to a fella called Oni Kelly. He used to, he, he's passed away now. He lives on History Bridge, but he was a great, he played the mouth organ. He was a blues musician. All right. Again, another hidden, but this guy played with all the best blues musicians in the world, you know. And uh, he taught me how to play blues riffs and stuff like that. And kind of got into it that way. That was it, you know. The, the real thing that definitely stands out to me was I don't know if you if you remember I certainly just just remember because I thought it was the coolest thing I ever saw was used to be a double CD thing in a box and it was a Benson and Hedges box yeah, Oasis opening up and it was yeah, the Oasis definitely yeah, maybe and yeah. Morning Glory they actually done two there was a silver one and a gold one yeah and there was a record shop in town which one was it was it, it was, the one in Park Street was it this tracks is that what it was called well, this one I remember seeing it. I remember my, my dad actually bought it. I don't know where it happened to it, or maybe he didn't. Maybe he was going to buy it. It was upstairs in the old shopping centre. Was that Golden Discs? That was Golden Discs, was it? Yeah, that was Golden Discs. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing it in there. It was a record shop on, do you know where Bourne and Maguire's Ford Garages? Yeah. Is that Dublin Street or is that? That's Park Street. Is that still Park Street? Dublin Street, or yeah, yeah, it's leading on to Park Street. There was Street. one there called uh, Disc Tracks, and I remember, I'm nearly sure they had it. I couldn't afford it. No, it was a Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Point at that time was a fortune, you know. But I remember thinking, that's so class. Well, like, if you ever if you ever want to get a bit of a swagger or, like, a step, uh, weather like this today, <laughs> put your shades on you. I'm telling you, man. Put your shades on you. Put your earphones in. Turn it, like, to the max and just click on uh, Rock and Roll Star Oasis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And you see that first, the first line in that, like, you know, I live my life in the city. There's no easy way. Things are just too fast for me, you know. And tonight I'm a rock and roll star, and I was just like, forget about it, man. You know, and then you'd be in school, and boys be talking about, like, you know, and oh, where's this man, you know, and then you learn that they're kind of from the same background that you're from, and you're, that's it. You're yeah. going, well, then there's no, you'd no choice not to do it, because they're doing it. Yeah. And that was it. It took over from there. So I wrote me, I wrote my first song when I was about 12, 13. Um, and were you doing it, it solo? <laughs> but were you doing it solo with the start, or did you? I was someone to do it with. Yeah, yeah I was just kind of writing myself in in a in my bedroom. I wrote a couple of really, really bad songs, <laughs> um, and yeah, then we got in a band with uh, a fellow called Shane Stewart. He's now an engineer or an architect or something. They called Paddy Cleary. He works in the IFSC in Dublin in, in banking, um, and a fellow called John Gray. He's still drumming. Um, I think he's with the Orange or something now. So myself and John, me two boys, still do that and the music out of it. And I said to the lads, "Look, a few songs here. We just, we just, we just play with me." We played the, we actually played the Button Factory as part of part of some sort of underage kind of battle of the bands thing. It was, it was really cool, you know. Um, and that obviously didn't last long. So that's what I'm saying to you. Like that's what happens with bands. You break up and you yeah, move on. Yeah, yeah. You know? But the more and more, then I was kind of getting into it. I was writing, then I started writing with other people, didn't really 
work out too well for me and I, I wasn't really in a great place in terms of the writing I wasn't enjoying it so then 2018 came along I was starting I had known David Keenan a long time like he would have hung around with my cousins and all that and I obviously would have seen him play and stuff like that and we just started hanging around together and he was doing the David Keenan thing we were doing he was doing this, this himself um, we started doing the, the Echo Road Records gigs together I started writing where, a few where were songs. They in there? What, what, what were we used, they to, we used to hold them in um, uh, Brewbakers before right. they before they renovated. Do you remember that the bar upstairs or the smoking room upstairs at the back? We used to hold gigs in there. We used right. to hold some nights down in um, down in uh, Corbett's. Used to be nights down there, and I wasn't really in. It was actually what it was was it was us trying to do a DIY thing. Yeah, and we took. I remember we took a photograph of Kelly's monument. And if you find the photograph, it's around somewhere. It might actually be on the Echo Road record page if you if you go and look at it. It's myself and David, Anton and Steph from uh, yeah, the, and they were doing their thing at the time as well. Frawars, um, I think there's a few others in it. It was mad. It was a good photo. And then we just just turn up, play, and that was it. You know? Just kind of like a little collective. Yeah, just trying to keep it all going. Yeah, yeah I think I think David had been down in in. Um, in uh, Minute, and I think they were doing the Common Grounds Collective or something down there, and he kind of got into that. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. It was a good, it was a nice time, but again, I wasn't really comfortable going around and calling myself Damien McCann and going and singing songs. And obviously, me and Dave would be talking and we'd be sharing books and sharing poems and sharing music. And he just turned me on to well, first of all, Animal Farm, yeah, uh, then coming up for Ale, um, down and out in Paris and London. These are all George Orwell's books, by the way, folks. And then 1984, and that was it. Game over. And I just remember saying to him one day, he's like, I'm not going to call myself this anymore. I'm going to call myself Always 84. And he went, that's actually class. Yeah. And I just ran with him. So it became, it was me for a long time. And when you're, do, when you are doing Orwell's 84 now, do you, I know you spearhead everything, but is the songwriting all you is what I'm trying to ask. Um, and then do you ask other people to kind of work the music around it. Or do you, do you go in like with a few different people? Well, so initially the idea was that you could do this thing over here, this trad folk thing, and then that'll be always 84. But then you can move over here and do kind of like the electronic stuff, Blue Monday sort of stuff, and that's always 84. And then you could do something else, and it would still all be always 84. Yeah. So it allowed me to open up the avenue for it. And then just people join, and then I actually just got really close to them. Like, you know, a good friend of mine, Sean Byrne, he's in the band, like, you know, and I just love playing with him like me and him wrote Colleen together we yeah. wrote Symposium which is on the album we wrote a few together we wrote another one How Does It Feels the closing track on the album Before a Mock um, we wrote them together um, so I do a lot of writing with him in terms of anything else I would just probably bring ideas into the rehearsal space and we'd sit down and, and, and practice them out Peter and Pork are fantastic at putting stuff together or saying don't do that or maybe do this and, and as producers they're actually very yeah. talented like yeah. they really Peter especially no offence to Pork but definitely Pork is great at it but Peter sometimes just says a wee thing that he'll tweak stuff like the little slightest things and it just opens up the whole thing so it's a very enjoyable process um, but I've never actually said to anyone let's just sit down and start jamming this out we tried it a few times um, after lockdown but you may as well just be talking to a wall like, just, <laughs> right. just, it, I, and to me that's not even art I don't think yeah. do you know that kind of way yeah People say, oh, should we just went in the rehearsal space and we wrote the album? It's like, no, you didn't. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. Art. I have that's, to have something down, yeah. Well, that's, you know. But it's a strange, it's, um, 
Orwell's is the dynamic of a band. It's it's kind of a strange setup in that. Well, first of all, you've got somebody playing cello or double bass, whatever, whatever you want yeah. to call it. Is it cello or is it's it cello? She plays, yeah, cello. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think the first time I seen is was in the dysfunction room. I don't think we called it the dysfunction room at that time, but I think that day it was eighties, nineties. Oh, upstairs in yeah. um, Owens. Owens. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was nine years on stage. There was definitely eight. Enough of us, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so to make noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a keyboard player and everything there. Oh, it was yeah. a keyboard and everything at that stage. That was yeah. mad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good, like, I mean. Uh, but but that, that's kind of what I'm getting to. Um, so when you're going to songwriting, when, when you have a song, maybe say you've got the lyrics down, you've got a guitar mm. part, will you bring that then to someone and say, can you write a part? For the cello to to Ella or to a uh, keyboard player or to someone and say, can you write that this or can you work this in? Well, so normally what it is is that yeah, we I'll come in and say like I have a new song or whatever, and then that's when the the, the pissing about and jamming just yeah. starts, yeah. and it's like people play stuff, and then you go, you like what you hear, and you know, um, I I never I never see myself as someone who's going to be like sitting there and going, don't don't do that, yeah, don't do this, yeah. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, and you, you you have to let the flow happen. That's kind of just how it always has worked. Um, it's slightly changed for the album because obviously I wrote, um, but wake up in another life. They were already, they had already been written. Um, so yeah, so out of the whatever is fourteen tracks on the album, two of them were wrote, and the rest of them were wrote during lockdown. And we had a big whiteboard of about thirty something songs that I wrote, and and I started to learn how to do the the recording and the home recording and stuff, and just doing rough demos and stuff. And did you record some of it yourself at home, or did you go into the studio? Or? No, I record a lot of the demos um, myself during lockdown. Oh right. And then I'd send them on to to actually to Pork. Yeah. And I'd say, what do you think of this? And then he'd throw drums on it, or he'd do something, and it all came came back around full circle. Pork took the lead on the on the album then as well, and he done a fantastic job on it. Um, and it's very tough. It's like managing a football team, I'd say. It's like trying to manage Manchester City there with all yeah. the stars that they have. Well, well, your your Ella that we spoke about, she's I met her recently. She's in England now, so yeah, it's you know what I mean? more difficult. And it might, like so, you can imagine someone trying to mix whatever was, and there's only the six there's six parts obviously to everything. But then on top of it, the boys are trying to mix in other stuff. I'd say like so for the job he done, he done a, a fantastic job. So it really just kind of depends. I don't know what's going to happen the next time around. Now. Yeah, your sound changes. So this album, The Crucible, is a lot more indie sounding mm. than some of the earlier stuff or some of the previous stuff, mm. especially Colleen and that was a lot more kind of was a trad sound of it. Mm. Is that intentional or is it just something that's in your head and then that has the way it comes out? You know, it's definitely intentional. It's, it's an yeah. evolution of whatever the band is or whatever the project is. With the Crucible, um, we tried to create a soundscape of what the the song was, and because because I was definitely like, look, I don't know if I'm ever going to do an album again. I don't know if I'm ever going to put an album out in vinyl again. I don't know if I'm ever going to get a record deal. You don't know these things, so yeah. everything for me has to be the last or the best, at least you know. So with the Crucible, I really wanted to make an art piece, right? Um, and I suppose that's why the sounds the songs sound so synchronized I suppose in a way this the sound is kind of evolved into this kind of sound yeah but then you could say that and then right in the middle of it then symposium hits you and you're going what is this like you know and I look at the I love looking at the faces of people in the crowd just as we're playing it and they're like 
where did this come from? Because two minutes before that, you're playing, you know, on the road. <laughs> and then they were hearing this kind of uh, Eastern kind of sound, Middle Eastern kind of sound and stuff, and they're going, what is that about? But so it is like um, it's a desired effect kind of yeah thing. we definitely got it yeah um, and as I said it was about creating a soundscape for, for the stuff that I was writing about and it, some of the lyrics is very dystopian and that was because I was writing the stuff during lockdown yeah you know what I mean so nobody nobody was in a great space yeah. during lockdown nobody for no. one reason or another things were happening for people and it was a tough time and then on the on the, on the outside of that or when we were looking out from where we were, you were seeing these people from the ivory towers, you know, making horrendous decisions and doing really bad stuff and having, like, you know, Boris Johnson having <laughs> parties, the lads doing the, the golf gate thing in, in Galway, yeah. you know, and you're going to yourself, yeah. we're here suffering and then you're out doing that sort of stuff and inspired a lot of the stuff. So, so there's definitely like a real kind of snarl to, to the lyrics. And I think it was Hot Press or something said something like, you know, <laughs> Such a lovely song, such a lovely sound that's being backed then by, or it's being sung over like these kind of real hard hitting lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, even right down to the design, that that theme then came right down to the design or truth of the of the album cover, which was inspired by like like the student protests in, in Paris in the sixties and stuff. And the idea of getting the young lad was, and was just saying like you know. We're not creating the future for these young people that we should be creating, you know. Um, and it was to make it very dystopian, but also the innocence of what was the love of music really was kind of supposed to be the young lad on the on the on the cover, you know. And now that you've you've got it out there and you've done the tour and you're just about to embark on this next journey <laughs> of your life, yeah. So it'll probably everything will change again. But every I can tell you for a fact yeah. everything is gonna change I know, again. I know, I know everything's gonna change and you know, lyrically probably stuff will change yeah. and themes and stuff will change. Um But I, yeah, like I've definitely started I've started I've 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 lightened up about the stuff I'm but, writing about, you know, that kind of way and So do you think then that now that you've got it out and uh not to say that you change, but you know now that you've got it out, are you happier? You've you've done it and you got that out there and if if something comes along, oh, yeah, yeah. The next thing would be obviously it's always going to be evolving anyway. But the next thing would be yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, and not to dismiss the album, I think I'm very I'm very proud of it. I think it's a yeah, it's a fantastic it's a fantastic album. album, and I'm very very proud of it. I'm proud of all the work we put into it. I'm proud of my own lyrics. I think that I think this is probably the best I have been lyrically and. And that's hard for me to say because I very rarely would give myself any credit. Right. Um, and I think there's just lyrically that's the best they've been at. Um, but I'm already looking at it like, and I'm not trying to like knock it. I'm just I'm already looking at the next thing and thinking, well, what could we do next? You know, or, you know, and there's songs already knocking around and there's different ideas already knocking around and different 
ideas for sound already knocking around, you know, and stuff like that. Like, you know, like it's funny that you mentioned like evolution, but if you start off with Wake Up is probably one of the first songs that I ever wrote for Orwell's and it's very Orwellian in terms of like, you know, it talks about TV screens and different stuff and it's it's the theme of the Wake Up is lifted straight from 1984. Right. You know, all the stuff with the proletariats and, you know, all that kind of stuff and and then at the very end we've got you've got How Does It Feel just sees out the album and at the start of How Does It Feel it has like a I don't even know what instrument it is or if it's a synthesizer, but it's kind of going like, you know, and that's something we would have never done. And it just popped into my head one day. I was running, I was listening to War on Drugs or, you know, Talk Talk or something like that. And I just was like, that's how this should start. So if you want to say maybe where the directions the sound's going, it's probably might go in that direction. It's just funny that we started with that one. Album ends with this and this sound that comes on and then you're going, maybe that's where the next album's going to come from or the next EP or the next single or whatever, you know, so... Always, always evolving. Yeah, never settling. No. Well, you go on now. So always, you've done the album. You're about to become a dad for the first time. Yeah. You have to think now and take stock and say, right, because there's going to be a lot happening. Yeah. The first cut, keep going. Do you think is that is that? Oh, well, like I do. I, I have been really. Um, I've been doing first cut, kind of in a similar setup to what you have here for. Since lockdown, really. Oh, you have not been doing it in the yeah, studio? Yeah, I didn't go did back you, into the did studio. You go back? No. Um, and I just kind of like that better. I have more freedom and leisure yeah. to it, and, and I just enjoy it a bit more. It's not that I don't like going into the studio or whatever. It's just yeah. like doing it my own time. I can kind of mess about it. I can, I can take tracks that might appear or do stuff and or try different things. And, you know, and I had a lot of fun. The only thing I would miss about the studios is I had a lot of fun doing the Facebook Live stuff. I thought that was cracking. Um, and again, it was just me trying to be doing something different than what. Yeah, what yeah they got a lot of response. I it, remember watching that. It blew through the roof. Insane. I don't know the car once twice driving home. Roots. Yeah, no. But like even stuff like that. And actually, at the time, I had this. I had this from doing the Facebook live because once the song would be playing, I wasn't obviously live on air, but I was still live on Facebook. Yeah. And I just remember thinking to myself, I would start talking about the absolute square root of. F all and people were loving it and I was going there's something there and I was actually going to start in a podcast being like I call it the final cut or something like that and that's still an idea that I want to run with so now that I have a bit more time at home <laughs> and I will have a bit more time at home uh, in between Trust me, you're going to have no time in between nappy changes yeah. and and, uh, you're going to be and, wrecked. and feed yeah so yeah well, I might not even I'll just be me snoring for, for an hour on a podcast um well, I will see what happens. To be honest, um, like Sinead's very, very understandable, and she's actually she loves the music, and she loves that I that I love doing, and she loves that it's it's an art form for me, and she loves to see me being creative. So she's been wonderful in fairness to her. Like you know, like yeah. who, like I don't know, I tell me someone else who could be having a, ch- a child, and then the partner saying, oh, "I'm actually off out in two over two months." <laughs> I'll see you right when this child's coming, and then and then I have to go and do four more gigs a month later when the child's just born or whatever. Uh, point to someone who's actually said it. That's grand, do you know that kind of way. So, but it's about now getting the balance. Do you know, yeah. like we were actually invited to play Mike the Pies in the Stole there, but the date they gave us was like June 29th, which is as we're recording is coming up. Right, you know, and yeah. I just can't do it. And I'd yeah. love to play Mike. And I was trying to book Mike the Pies for the tour. 
and Aiden, the promoter, just couldn't, we couldn't set on a date, and then he couldn't go back to me and all this, and it just never happened. And then all of a sudden, he's like, look, June 29th, and I was going, no, man. No. <laughs> June 8th, June 20th, man. You can imagine me, like... roll up my sleeves. Nine days later, me rocking up with, like, a newborn, <laughs> just making sure, trying to keep it in key, like... <laughs> but, um, oh, look, it'll be about finding the balance to it. Uh, and, you know, I don't see it as... I don't see it as... as it's going to be a hindrance to the to the music or the art. I actually think it'll probably be inspire me better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember there's a story Rob, uh, Robert Robertson from the band. Yeah, he tells the story about when he the, the time he wrote um, the night they drove old Dixie down. Right, and the reason why it's so like slow and plods along like the the piano bit is because his newborn it just was just upstairs. He had to play really quiet and he had to sing it like nice and soft. And that's why it comes out. And that's how the song came. So there's going to be something there to work with. <laughs> I actually said I was going to take out the bow run. That was one of my things to do. Well, the chair is there. To, fucking no, ra- to, ra- there. to rattle it. <laughs> Try and drown it out. No, I uh, just got something small like light so I could probably play it and see what happens. But <laughs> who knows? I have all these great ideas and nothing will ever come of it probably like but. What about work then? Do you, do you want to talk a wee bit about that? You're, you're a youth worker. Yeah. How so, do you find it? And you're in the Dundalk Youth Centre there beside St. Patrick's. So we do bits in Dundalk Youth Centre, but I'm also in the D-Hub in RD. All right. I um, work for a middle youth service. So I work for a fund called the International Fund for Ireland. Um, and they, it's all about peace. It's about peace and reconciliation and stuff like that with them. So my co-workers, I work with 14, myself and my colleague, we work with 14 young people who are out of education or employment. And we walk around for about two years and so on. So it's a two-year kind of deal. Um, and just try and do everything with them to try and support them to develop. And what what kind of age group and are these kids that have left these, school early type of thing? Yeah, so these guys be around 15, starting 15, 16. Some of the oldest ones we would have walked with then. See, you walk with them when you're 15 or 16 and then by the time the programme ends or that's around the funding ends, it's they're probably 20, you know, that yeah. kind of way. But I love that. I love that kind of crack. Um, and they're just like, I have seven lads and they're just gas lads like do you know what I mean and they tell you the stories and they tell you the stories all day long and I won't though because <laughs> I'll probably definitely get them in trouble or get, get me in trouble something just fell though oh one of the lights is no, I'm not going to ever look um, but uh, I just they're just lovely lads they're just misunderstood lads and they're lovely lads and you know um, was that something you always wanted to do or was it something you kind of um, came came upon by accident, and yeah, I didn't really know what I was. I didn't really know what I wanted to do leaving school. No, I, I don't think anybody yeah. does. I don't know anybody who's like uh, I'm 42 now, and I still don't. Know yeah. what I want to do. I mean, you said you're asking people to come in, <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that either. But like, I genuinely just didn't know. Yeah, and like that, and actually, I say that to these young lads all the time. I'm like, look, don't worry if you left school. Yeah, I was like, you don't know what you want to do. That's fine, you know. And I actually say the same as you'd say. I say like, I'm. I still don't know what I want to do. Yeah. I have a job. But how did you get in to the social work? You obviously had to go to. Went to college. Um, still, as I said, I still don't know what I did. Applied for loads of stuff. Um, actually got accepted to DKIT Music School of Music, and then didn't go. <laughs> and, didn't I went, go. Yeah. and I went to at the time the course was called Community Sports and Leadership and Development and Youth Work or something. It was a big long winded thing, but it was. The, brand new I think it was and I for some reason I just thought that'd be better I actually was really keen on doing that kind of community stuff um I don't know where that comes from I know my mother when she was younger knock around she used to like volunteer in the arts club 
you know, which used to be in yeah, the Friary. Yeah, yeah, I remember it well. Me, my other uncle, her brother, he was a social worker as well. So maybe there's a bit of it there. It's kind of sad, yeah. yeah. In the back of your head. Yeah, and then my dad, when I was younger, would forever be rattling on about social justice. And, you know, he was he's a big fan of James Connolly and Jim Larkin and all, all right. that. So oh, he'd be a, oh, God, he should talk, be my daughter. Yeah, <laughs> so right he'd be talking about like, yeah. right stuff like this, you know what I mean? And he was always talking about the injustices that was being befouled on the working man, you know? Yeah. And I suppose that's where that whole passion to make a change in that area and then obviously trying to make a difference and part of it was youth work and I just thought well you know what I used to be in I used to be in youth clubs and stuff when I was younger a lot of my friends were in the same youth clubs a lot of them ended up not doing well yeah um and I just I was afforded good opportunities and my sister was looking me as well try and give back to it so it just kind of fell into my lap and I just ran with it but I'm very good at it I'd like to think yeah so it's good you know but it's obviously the way you were talking about the lads there, and it's obviously something that you you get up and go, yeah, going in here. It's you, it's something that you uh, you get a real satisfaction out of doing. Yeah, you know, like well, you know that saying, you know, if you if you love your job, you never work a day in your yeah. life. It genuinely doesn't feel like work to me. Yeah, you know, um, sometimes it's tough, but you learn over the years to kind of how to park it and stuff, and just move on and move forward. So it can be tough, but it's very good, and if you're able to to incite the development and see the development of these young people like then it's just that's the game changer you know um and like they seem to like me with the <laughs> in the fund so like they keep asking me to do stuff like recently i was, I was over in uh, belgium now with them i was on a panel for 25 years of uh, the good friday agreement so they asked me oh, to go over and talk about you walk on it and stuff so he's over there and i met Maureen mcginnis so she's from rd she's the eu commissioner i met yeah. her and i met a few other delegates and met heads and then obviously a couple of weeks back they invited me to meet joe biden when he was here so no way i'm obviously doing something right. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, where did you meet him in, when he was in town so it's a funny story we my colleague beth she got uh, an email one day and she sent it to junk and then she says maybe i should respond to this and i looked at it and i was like it's from arison richteron it's from the president and it was an invite to meet the president he was holding an event the Irish president, he was holding an event for... Miguel Miguel Higgins. Yeah. And he was holding an event for women and in, in, uh, women involved in the peace process or something. And there was this thing about the Women's Coalition in the North. And she got invited and she says, oh, well, I have a plus one. Would you like to come? And I was like, to the, to the president says, yes, definitely. I will definitely go. So we thought this was great. We went up for the day. We got to walk around the gardens, got to see the dogs, got to play with the dogs, met Michael D. Higgins, met the whole load of heads. It was lovely. And uh, we were t- we were driving back down the road thinking, it wasn't that just class, like, you know, that's real, like, you know, acknowledgement of the work we do kind of thing. And that night then, um, I well, I had jokingly said to Beth, I was like, the next one now is I want to meet Joe Biden when he comes over. Not thinking end of it. And then that night, which was three weeks out from, from the president's visit to Ireland, I got a phone call off this woman and she said, she told me your name. And she says, I'm, I'm from the Department of Foreign Affairs, she said, but she said, I'm also the Director General of the International Fund for Ireland in the South. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. She's like, I met you before. And she says, no, yeah, you have met me before. Blah, blah. And she says, I heard you talk about the job that you do. She said, hey, I, and she says, I love your passion. I love how you spoke about it. And she says, I really, really think that when the president comes, he, they're on about it. He wanted to meet community groups and we're going to put you forward to America to see if wow. like that'll be, if he'll come. So, 
Well, that's huge praise right there. That yeah. She, that she got that from you when you were talking. Yeah, which was that's really... massive praise. really cool. And then I didn't think anything of it. And she was like, you can't say anything to anybody because A, it might not happen. And B, we just can't tell anyone what's happened. Yeah, couldn't yeah, tell yeah, anyone the plans. So I was like, right, that's grand. And she says, we'll be out tomorrow to RD. It's like, oh, right. And she said, she said, don't tell anyone over there. It's the people, the Americans want to come and suss out the building, want to suss out the infrastructure of RD. So initially what I was thinking and was the initial plan was he was to come through RD and, and come into our building and visit us there. And then obviously, like, as things happen with the resident of America, it all kind of changed and stuff, every, yeah. Every minute, yeah. But that afternoon, so going from that, that Thursday to the next day to Friday, I was sat in the Ballymac with two Americans that I think were secret service. They didn't really say too much to me. This one from the Department of Foreign Affairs, another person from the Department of Foreign Affairs, and then two people from the Department of Antishock. And I'm sitting there, and they're grilling me about, like, the work I do and talk to me about it and you know and I just was telling them all the crack and then that was it really then they just kept getting phone calls right you need to do this you need to meet up then I had to it was the next thing was I had to meet them in the where did he stop off the food hall in yeah my tears yeah yeah so your one brings me up she's in the dock again she brings me up and she says look it's, it's not really I don't think it's going to happen in RD but it's going to be in the dock and we're thinking of bringing them here and you guys will be sat at one table and the president will come to you and this will be another group over here. And I think the dog rescue was the other ones. They were going right. to be there. And so I was like, right, that's grand. That's grand. Yeah, dead on. And then out of nowhere, like two days before she rang and she's like, right, look, not in the food hall anymore. It's in the Windsor. And I was going, Jesus Christ, this is just, I can't keep up with it. Um, and that was it. Yeah. We got to go in, brought us upstairs. We were sat in a room. We got walked through everyone. We were handed delegation passes. We were brought by Secret Service upstairs. We walked past all the county councillors, all the TDs. They're looking at us going, what's going on? We were walked into the, and you probably have been to the Windsor before, yeah. so you know. So the description for people who've never been there is there's a bar upstairs and you see that when you walk up the stairs. If you walk down the left of the bar, goes yeah, into all these into the restaurant, yeah. like different restaurant rooms. Different rooms and yeah. restaurant. We were in the one down now. And we were sat there for two hours <laughs> with our own Secret Service man. And, um, that was it. And the only thing he really kind of said to us at the start was anytime someone went near the window, he'd be like, come away from the window. Close, right. close, the, close the window. And then when Joe Biden came in, did he walk around all the tables? and? So what, yeah, so what kind of happened then in the place was we were sat there and um, I can't remember. There was, this, there was this big guy, but he was from Chicago. Um, and I think he was the head of the setup. He was doing the whole thing. Right. The security detail. Like, yeah. yeah. He rushed into the room and he says, this, he's not going to be able to come up here. So obviously something happened downstairs where he got delayed or something. And he's like, this isn't going to happen up here. So we were whipped out of the room, which I thought was unfortunate because we were sat around a long table and there was two chairs at the top of the table that were left idle. One was supposed to be for Joe Biden. The other one was supposed to be for Micheál Martin. They were supposed to sit with us for, we were supposed to have 20 minutes with them basically talking about it. So we were whipped out of the restaurant, out the door, up Vincent Avenue, up... Dublin Street in front of this crowd like and we were right. being ushered along so everyone's kind of standing going hey we're these <laughs> you know and then we were just brought into the wee bar and we were sat in that little alcove like that and then his sister came in who was part she was part of the trip she came in and spoke to us and she was lovely um, the ambassador to Washington came in she's the one from Drogheda she came in and spoke to us she was lovely and then the next thing was Joe Biden came in and that was it and he was in there for about five ten minutes and he just 
he was nice. He was a nice man. He told people, you know, you can do whatever you want to be in that. And like, it was great. And one of the young lads that I work with now, he's big into the gym and he was kind of patting him on the shoulder. And he goes, man, you got some big guns on your son. And that was the best thing. Your man felt 10 foot tall after that. You know what I mean? So it was all a very surreal three yeah, weeks. Like, But that's a huge accreditation to you for what you do, that somebody would have heard you speaking before and say, okay, well, here, hang on a second. Yeah. We're going to give you one of the biggest honours. I was delighted, you yeah, know, but I was absolutely. more so delighted to bring them in. For me, it wasn't really about How many me. of the lads did you get to bring with you? We got to bring four, yeah. Brilliant. So we got to bring four, yeah, four. So um, That must be like, like kind of life-changing for them. Oh, yeah, to, yeah. They went back to already as celebrities, like. Yeah, but as to just that opportunity to... How many people are going to get that in this country? You no. know, well, that I, I, handful. I mean, when he was leaving, I think wasn't one of the things in the news that were saying like there won't be a presidential visit here for yeah. another twenty five years. Yeah, maybe, you know that kind of That's way. That's mad. So it certainly won't be in. Well, it might not be in my lifetime, you know. But um, but it was great, you know. So then now we've been kind of joking, saying like, oh well, the next one is we're going to try and meet, you know. <laughs> so, so, so we're trying to manifest it all out there. But uh, yeah, they came up to me that night. There was obviously there was a few beverages were partaken in um, after his uh, entourage had left, and uh, they were saying that we're do they were hosting this conference in Belgium, and would I be interested in coming over and speaking on a panel? And I was going, "Are you paying for it?" And they were like, "Yeah, we'll pay for it." And I was like, oh, "I'm down." <laughs> <laughs> so that's brilliant. Yeah, that's just, absolutely fantastic. It was good crack, like you know. I don't, oh, I don't even think I do any youth work anymore. I just go around <laughs> yeah. meeting all these famous people, <laughs> all these delegates and stuff. And um, yeah, like for for a job that's solely based around supposed to be community work and helping people, like I've got myself in a fairly good position. <laughs> they brought me to America for two weeks. No way. They brought me to America for two weeks on a study visit. And I was in Detroit for a week. Got to go see Motown and everything. Like that was class for me. And then I was in Washington for a week. And this is kind of this is always sticks out in my mind as like something to say like this is how I knew I was doing well with myself now, or you know one of them moments is the teachers in the school could see me now the ones that said I'd never make it <laughs> walked into Capitol Hill and we were going in to meet um, Brandon Boyle you know he's a he's a senator yeah. over there he's they're tipping him to be really he might be running for president and say not this term or the term after right. but he's the first Irish American born like he's a one generation his father's from Donegal. Right, okay. We were so it's not meet. going back to yeah. the newspaper cut you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They don't have to trace your family tree yeah. into the roots. But uh, we're going to meet this fella and we were in Capitol Hill and we were walking over and I'm with a, the, one of the lads from the Department of Foreign Affairs, uh, Kevin Coyle, who's since retired. He's a lovely man. We were standing and it says on these gold elevators, elevators only for senators and diplomats or whatever he's... And uh, I says, come on, we get the elevator. And this is a fella from the Department of Foreign Affairs. And he's going, oh, no, the sign. And I, and I just pushed the button and the door opened. And I says, I'm getting the elevator. And I just grabbed him <laughs> and I pulled him in. So there's me and him standing this elevator going down while everyone else had to take the stairs. And I'm just thinking to myself, here's the shit kicker from the dock. Now. And he's go- <laughs> in these gold elevators. No one like uh, I was just going... It'll be grand, like you know what I mean. It's typical the dark mentality, like you know. It'll be grand. Just get in these elevators, like you know what's what I mean? the worst that can happen? You come out and nobody could hang guns pointed at you. What are they going to say? You know what I mean? Oh, I didn't read the sign. You know what I mean? I didn't see it or whatever. So uh, I just a few minutes ago, you, you said like you know, oh, I'm still not sure what I want to do, but you, I, you obviously do because you're obviously loving this. Like I'm loving the going around. Yeah. You, <laughs> there's no, the, but you're obviously loving as well. The, ah, the, yeah, the work yeah. that you're doing and yeah. and and. and 
like even those stories you're telling me now I mean you go back in and tell the lads like they must go wow you know what I mean? yeah, like, yeah. So you're, you're inspiring them to say well, look well, so I didn't know what I was doing coming out of school lads and look what I'm doing now I'm not getting and like he um, well actually when we told them that we couldn't tell them who they were meeting but they all thought it was like some famous YouTuber and I was going <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it is yeah. He's, he's on YouTube the odd time also all of the other global medias <laughs> like, you know what I mean but um, no look I mean at the end of the day, it's not about the traveling and doing all that. It's about the job no, we do. Yeah, yeah. But I'm happy that the work is being recognised more so than the individual. Like, I, like if it was, if it was, if it was Beth, because I know she's a fantastic cute worker. You know, if it was her getting all the accolades, I'd be happy as long as I was part of the job doing the work that we're doing. You know, but it's it's nice. Yeah, it's nice. And I spoke to the the chair of the AFI there. He was in Brussels, and I said to him, "He's a fellow from Donegal, lovely man." And I said. I was shaking his hand as I was leaving. And I says, oh, sure, Paddy, I'll see you again. And he says, I just wonder, he says, who's the next person we're going to be meeting when we see together or something? Because he's like, I said to him, every time I see you, Paddy, something big's about to happen. He says, every time I see you, he says, someone big's about to walk into the room. <laughs> so he says, and I says, well, keep me around. And he says, I'll try my best, you know. So, um, I know, that's friend. fantastic. That's that's a great story. I didn't expect that to come out. I didn't know about that. At yeah, all. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> there you go. Good crack. That's brilliant. Yeah, uh, look, and they all love Orwell's 84. I know, absolutely. Like, if nothing else happens there, those four lads will never ever forget that. And they'll say, That Damien McKenna, do you remember what he done? He took us into uh, yeah. Windsor and didn't tell us, and, and the president of America walked in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. it's like. Yeah, and I really hope that they can look back on it, and as you say, that, that they can look back and think to themselves, because that was the big thing for me, is I wanted I wanted these young people, to, when they were meeting the president, to think to themselves, we are not forgotten about. Yeah. And that yeah. tends to be what happens in these areas and communities, do you know what I mean? And there's loads of them in Dundalk, and yeah. me and you would know them without even yeah, having yeah, to mention yeah, yeah. them. Yeah. But these people just, they seem disenf- they feel disenfranchised, they feel forgotten about, and I can understand them, you know, yeah. Um. I am fortunate now that I'm not in them positions that the, 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 a lot of them families and communities are in. But I still feel a bit like that. So God knows how they feel. So look, you try to make a difference. You try to let people know that, look, there is someone there that cares for you. And you just try you just try to make sure that they're happy in their lives. Like, you know, yeah. there's too much sadness going around. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, just yeah. bring a little light into these people's lives, you know. Look, wow, that's that's that inspiring me that story. I mean, <laughs> genuinely, yeah, I absolutely do. I thought we'd just be talking about music and and and, and the album and stuff. Yeah, uh, Damien, I'm gonna leave it at that. That's an hour up, and I thought that was a brilliant uh, way to finish it. Yeah, well, it was a pleasure. I actually enjoyed that. And it was Best good of luck with what's about to come. Uh, your new arrival. That'll be it. They'll be uh, trying to get me over to somewhere now, and I'll be like, I can't go. <laughs> I really hope that Orwell's keeps going on the track that they're going. I thought Christopher was brilliant. Mm. Um, we still have two singles to come off it, so I'm, I'm, I'm confident. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had meant to yeah. ask. When I actually think there's supposed to be something happening, I'm not too sure, so maybe I shouldn't give too much information. There's supposed to be something happening. Oh, by the time I edit this and put it out, it'll probably be long. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what's what the story is, but someone mentioned something in Tolls, so we're going to do that. But we're definitely in Dublin. We're in Galway on the August 19th in Dublin, but we're planning on coming back around and doing a smaller. Irish tour again just maybe four or five dates one of them's going to be the dock I'd say again might not be the store you know it might be somewhere else or it might be the store I don't know yeah. I like playing on Tawn the wee theatre on Tawn is always a good shot I've as well, never so. seen a gig in there we we launched Colleen in there we launched the EP in there yeah it was brilliant in, in the hall in the main thing or? no in the one to the left you know the wee studio theatre no there's only se- 70 seats in it and we sold it out and it was great oh it did yeah so it's a nice yeah. wee spot 
We might do it though. My luck, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you have to Dam- come then. Yeah, no, we definitely will come. I said we were <laughs> sick, we couldn't go down it. Damien, thanks a million for coming in. Ah, I, no, it was a pleasure. Uh, I enjoyed that. It, it's great. That, at the bit at the end, I'd say you just blew me away. <laughs> Damien McKenna, cheers. Thanks and, very much, uh, sir. Look forward to hearing you on the first cut on Friday, as that's, always. That's the best show in the airwaves, lad. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, lad. is Damien McKenna from Orwell's 84 and the music you heard during the interview were the Orwell's 84 tracks Colleen Symposium and Tomorrow Maybe I'll Be Alright go and check out the album The Crucible it's absolutely fantastic and the other EPs as well uh, the title music was from Jinx Lennon the track Proud to Be a Nobody in County Loud keep checking out for more interviews that will be posted as I finished